0: you're all doing well. Thanks for tuning in today. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ross Chakrian and I am honored to be here presenting for you at this year's 2020 EPEW virtual conference. And before I get into our session today, I really just kind of want to take a moment to give thanks and show my gratitude for the amazing, awesome, fantastic EPEW committee. They are an amazing group of educators and people that are constantly giving so much of themselves to the profession that we know and love so much to make this happen. So on behalf of myself, I really appreciate everything that you all have done. I know it could not have been easy, kind of, especially with everything else going on, to kind of shift from your plans for a face-to-face conference to now going into a virtual format. Um, But being the amazing people that you are, you made it happen, um, and here we are. So thank you all so much for all your hard work, EPW Committee. I love you, I appreciate you, and thanks for being you. And I would encourage you if you're watching this session today, um, at some point today or over the next couple of days, kind of reach out on your own to the EPW committee to kind of share your gratitude and your appreciation. I know that they would really enjoy seeing that or hearing that. And if you have not been uh, in person to San Luis Obispo for the EPW conference, in the summer each year you need to make sure that you get there. Fingers crossed next year, um, all this pandemic craziness is behind us and we are back to normal. And that would mean that we would be able to kind of get together as we normally would this time of year. Um, I'm repping my shirt from last year. I had the privilege and the honor to attend and present last year. And being someone that has had the good fortune of kind of presenting and attending lots of PE conferences all over the country, I can honestly say that EPW is by far and large my favorite conference that I've ever attended. Um, It's unlike anything else that is out there in terms of PE conferences. It's just a super strong community family feel to it that I haven't really seen anywhere else or felt anywhere else. And it's really kind of like a PE camp. So for those of us that are super PE nerds like myself, um, I think you really enjoy it. So if you've never been there face to face, try and make it a priority to get there next year um, and enjoy the the beautiful California coast and the awesome people. And having said all of that, um, I guess I should give you a little bit more of background of myself here before we get into the meat and potatoes of today's session. Um, So I have had the good fortune and privilege to teach um, elementary physical education for the last 10 years here in central Maryland. And nine of those years were in one district and one school in particular Um, and i was in that position for the nine years leading up to uh, spring of last year so 2019 at the end of last school year i decided to um, kind of pursue a different avenue in my career and i got uh, blessed and opportune i took up an opportunity to teach at the university level at towson university here in baltimore Um, and i did that for the fall semester of this school year from august to um, december And while it was an awesome experience and I really learned a lot, I don't think it was quite the right fit for me. Um, I missed my elementary kiddos quite a bit and I needed to get back to where I thought I was going to be best suited for. So, I decided to kind of resign from that position at Towson. And I ended up being fortunate enough to kind of fill a mid-year leave replacement in a school district that was neighboring to the one I had taught in before called Anne Arundel County Public Schools here in Maryland. And I was able to fill a position mid-year in in about mid-January or so, um, for a PE teacher that was leaving. And I was there for about 10 or so weeks before the craziness of the coronavirus pandemic hit. And then that kind of threw everyone for a whirlwind. Um, And from there, you know, is distance learning for me, e-learning throughout the rest of the year, like I know it probably was for everyone watching this conference. So for me personally, lots of changes over the last 365 days, uh, you know, job-wise, career-wise. Um, so it's been quite a whirlwind and um, learned a lot along the way. And I'm, I'm excited to kind of share some of those things that I've kind of learned with you today, especially in relation to distance learning or e-learning, because I'm sure some of you are going to be in the situation where that's kind of going to be part of whatever your school district's plan is looking forward, whether you're fully online through distance learning or maybe you're doing some kind of a hybrid where you're some days in person, some days virtual. Um, So the content of this session today, um, which is called, our session today is called Movement Education Success for All through Divergent Discovery, was kind of an approach that I took to my own teaching during the um, the time that we were distance learning and e-learning over the last few months. Um, So it served me and my students well, and I kind of wanted to share a little bit about this approach and this framework and kind of instructional model with you, so you can kind of take it and maybe get it to um, try it out for yourself and see if it's something that you would want to use uh, for your own students and your own teaching. So with that said, let's get to it. Okay, so the objectives of today's session are attendees will be able to describe key principles and beliefs of the movement education model or framework or approach in relation to elementary physical education programming. You will also be able to apply the principles and beliefs of the movement ed model framework or approach to your own teaching. And lastly, you'll be able to apply assessment ideas and strategies to your own teaching to check for student understanding and student application of movement concepts. And the way I'm gonna kind of work this virtual uh, session today is we're gonna kind of quickly give a little bit of an overview of what movement ed as a model or a framework or approach is. And then we're gonna kind of compare it to what you may be more familiar with in terms of a traditional skill theme approach and look how there's some differences between the two. And from there, we'll kind of break down movement ed a little bit further kind of show you the specifics of it and give you some examples of what movement ed lessons might look like in practice and then share some assessment examples at the end that are tied to those lesson examples that I've done in the past with my students. So that's kind of the the gist of what we're going to be looking at and the breakdown for how it's going to work today. So movement ed, what is it? If you kind of think back maybe to your elementary PE methods course back in college or when you were at university um, you probably have talked about this as a model or approach or a framework. Um, it's it's a very popular form of an approach in terms of elementary PE. I think it is more popular, I would say, overseas than it is here in the U.S. Um, here in the U.S. we tend to do things a little bit differently. and You'll kind of see the specifics of, of the differences between what we normally do here in the U.S. compared to what this movement ed approach is um, and a little bit later on. But what is it? Basically, it's a, an instructional model or framework or approach that is used primarily within elementary physical education that aims to expand the child's capabilities across all three learning domains. And those three domains, psychomotor, cognitive, affective, um, is, they're all kind of influenced for sure and they're all improved on in relation to what movement ed kind of brings to the table as an approach it's a very balanced approach so you'll see how that's gonna look a little bit later on when we talk about how those domains interact within this model it's based upon constructivist learning theory so if you're familiar with the idea of constructivism or constructivist learning theory the idea behind it basically is that You're not really telling the students what to do or how to perform a movement in particular in the context of PE, but you're trying to get them to figure out things for themselves through lived experiences. And you're trying to get them to build upon what they might already know to construct their own meaning from what you are uh, planning for them and having them experience. So there's a little bit of a difference there compared to what we traditionally do here for elementary PE in the States. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as the slides go on as well. And like I mentioned a little bit already, it varies from the traditional skill theme approach that we here in the U.S. are accustomed to developing our curriculums, units, and lessons around. All right, so let's dive a little bit deeper into those differences from what we here in the U.S. are accustomed to seeing, which is that traditional skill theme approach and how that kind of compares to a movement ed approach. So you're going to see that there's a little bit of a departure from the norm here. Um, with what a movement education approach looks like. So in terms of traditional skill theme approach, teaching style, it's very teacher-centered. So if you think back again to maybe your time at your elementary methods course, college, university, probably talked about something called Mastin's teaching styles. Uh, These are the ones here that are on the left that are more of those teacher-centered type of styles, command style, practice style, where you're pretty much just telling the students what to do and how to do it. Um, not a, lot, a whole lot of engagement usually with these types of styles here on the teacher-centered side. And that varies drastically from a movement education type of approach. Movement Ed is very much on the other side of that spectrum of Mawson's teaching styles. Um, and it's more on that student-centered side here. In particular, uh, Movement Ed aligns really well with one of them in particular called Divergent Discovery Style, which is style H here. And basically, divergent discovery, the idea of it is that there's multiple right or correct answers that students kind of can explore to a movement problem that you as the teacher have kind of introduced to them. It allows them to experience creativity. It allows them to have quite a good deal of autonomy in how they answer that question. And your role as a teacher isn't exactly to tell them what to do and how to do it your role is more to kind of ask those questions to facilitate their solutions. So that's kind of a big difference between the two. The foundation of a traditional skill theme approach is that it's skill-based, right? So with a traditional skill uh, theme approach being more of the reproductive side of this where students are just trying to kind of regurgitate something that you as a teacher have told them, hey, we're gonna be practicing our soccer dribbling today, hey, here's the cues, here's what it looks like with the demonstration, go do this, exactly what I showed you. Um, That's a very reproductive type of approach. Um, And its goal as a skill-based kind of foundation for a traditional skill theme approach is really to reproduce that skill using those specific cues and standardized form um, to increase the likelihood of mastery. Um, I think that we all probably know that we don't really see our students quite often enough to have mastery as a real true goal um, for our PE programs, um, in terms of what it needs to be to get to that point. So on the flip side of that, Movement Ed is more of a concept-based approach. Um, And the goal of Movement Ed is really to get students to increase their understanding of what we call movement concepts by applying them, by having the students apply them through various forms of movement. Um, Like I said, it's not about you as a teacher telling them what to do, it's about kind of them figuring that out through their own experiences um, based upon the way that you structure things in your class. So there's some definite key differences there um, from what we traditionally have done in the past here uh, in the U.S. with a skill team approach compared to a movement ed type of approach. All right, so sticking with the idea of a departure from the norm and kind of exploring that a little bit more, this is something that might look a little familiar to you. Again, if you think back to your time at university, I'll mention methods class, probably have seen this movement wheel on more than one occasion. Um, If you're familiar with the book Children Moving written by George Graham and others, um, this is always a foundation of that book. And traditional skill team approach, like we said before, is built upon the idea of trying to improve performance related to our fundamental motor skills. So You can kind of see those being in the center here. And I think it's kind of important to note that they are in the center and they make up the heart, right, they make up the foundation of this approach. The goal, after all, of the approach is to improve upon those skills and lead to the likelihood of mastery. So you can see the manipulative skills here that we traditionally teach here in the US, non-manipulative or non-locomotor here, and the locomotor skills here. Um, And if you look at our Shape America standards and outcomes, you'll notice that this is kind of mimicked in what we see written in those standards and outcomes. Standard one, um, you know, that skillfulness standard. Those GLOs are about, about 50% of all the GLOs are within standard one. So that means the other 50% are made up of standard two, three, four, and five GLOs altogether. So you can kind of see the imbalance there in terms of what we put a value on traditionally here um, in the US and it is a skill theme approach. So, the difference there compared to a movement at approach is represented well, I think, by this tree type of um, graphic. Um, and instead of having the movement concepts around the outside of this wheel, that you kind of see here related to relationships and spatial awareness, effort, and those types of things, those movement concepts and the elements within them are seen as represented in the movement ed approach, this tree, they're seen at the roots. So having them be at the foundation, right? You have to have a strong foundation in order for that tree to grow. So by teaching these movement concepts and the elements within them, um, it really allows students then to have a better understanding of their bodies and what they can do with their bodies based on that concept-based approach that the movement ed is kind of based upon. Um, once they have that solid foundation with their body and how they can move their body in relation to locomotor and non-locomotor skills at the root level, then they can start to kind of combine those things with fundamental manipulative skills and kind of start to grow and branch out with those tree limbs. And from there, they can then right truly value and engage in physical activity both now and in the future. So that's kind of how the difference is. In terms of visually, um, a little bit of a graphic representation of uh, you know differences between traditional skill theme approach and movement ed approach, um, and I thought that tree analogy was really a, a good one. And if you want more about that, um, the book that I got this from, written by Abels and Bridges, it's called Teaching Movement Education. It's a really great resource, and I encourage you to kind of check it out. All right, so now that we kind of covered the differences between. Um, a movement ed approach compared to a traditional skill theme approach, I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into what the movement ed model or approach or framework actually looks like and how the movement ed approach kind of is reflected in the different domains that we have, that we're responsible for, so psychomotor, cognitive, affective, and then how those interactions between those domains kind of come together um, to shape the principles and the beliefs of the movement ed approach. So, in relation to the cognitive domain, think about movement ed, right, as inspiring thinking movers. So, the movement ed approach allows for students to apply higher order thinking skills. So, when you think about that pyramid, right, toward the top of it, that's where we want them to be kind of living, not only in the classroom, but in PE as well. And the idea of thinking movers kind of gets them there. So, you're going to be having your students through this approach work on their analytic skills, comparing and contrasting creating things, applying things, producing, expressing. So all of those higher order thinking skills are very much seen in the movement ed approach and the way that it's kind of implemented within physical education at the elementary level. In relation to the affective domain, right, be thinking about the idea of feeling movers. So the movement ed approach allows for students to find joy and meaning within their learning tasks Because of the student-centered nature that we talked about before, that type of approach and that type of idea being centered on the students, it allows them to have more autonomy. And when they have that autonomy, chances are they're going to be more engaged. They're going to be able to find more joy and meaning in the things that they're doing because they have a direct say in it. As opposed to you as a teacher telling them what to do, they have more of a say in what they're doing. They're going to find more meaning in it. So feeling movers is kind of how movement ed relates to that affective domain. And for the psychomotor domain, right, think about the idea of playful movers. So we talked about the, the difference before between skill theme approach and movement ed approach in relation to what the goal of it is. Um, the goal of movement ed is not really to be super good performers of a particular motor skill. You're going to have increases in their motor abilities for sure through the different tasks that you might be giving students within this approach, but that's not really the true focus of it. You're not really prioritizing performance. Movement Ed really kind of prioritizes more of exploration and play and expression of oneself over the idea of skill performance. So we kind of take all those kind of ideas of how Movement Ed relates to these different domains and we kind of funnel them down, it helps us to kind of understand the beliefs and the principles of the movement ed approach as well. So one core belief or principle of the movement ed approach is the idea of success for all. And in relation to what this means, think about the idea of you as a teacher kind of introducing that movement problem to a student. So you're asking them to solve that problem with their bodies instead of telling them what to do. And because the solutions to that movement problem, there's more than one of them through that divergent discovery approach, there's not really one true correct way to answer that problem with their bodies, for the students, right? So that idea of having a little bit more broad of idea of success, right? And broadening that idea of success criteria allows for more students to find that success based upon their present level of ability. Another core principle or belief of the movement ed approach is something called contribution by all. So kind of piggybacking off the idea of success for all belief, the belief of contribution by all relates to everyone in any given class having answers to these movement problems that you're introducing to your students. And they can answer those problems within their present level of abilities. And since there's multiple answers right, to those different movement problems, students are going to be able to learn to understand that movements within this approach are likely to look different from one student to another, and then that's okay, and that we want students to be able to express themselves and be creative, and oftentimes creativity means being unique, right, and being different than other people, and the divergent nature of movement education and the way it's kind of implemented within elementary PE allows students not only to kind of see that different answers in terms of movement are okay to a problem that you as a teacher kind of put out to them, but that they can also learn to appreciate and value and celebrate the differences of their classmates' movements, right, compared to maybe a criteria where you as a teacher are kind of going down the line, did they meet this, 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 this in a traditional skill team approach? Right, That one set of kind of concrete criteria, movement ed is kind of a little bit different than that. Right, we're, we're kind of valuing the differences between movements of people rather than trying to standardize everyone and putting them into this box. And the third belief or principle of the movement ed approach is the idea of activity for all. So the belief of activity for all kind of relates to the inclusive nature of the approach, which we kind of alluded to a little bit in Contribution by All. And the importance of how students are likely, more likely to be engaged in the tasks involving physical activity presented to them due to the kind of the premium that teachers place upon student voice and choice to express themselves through movement. We kind of tie that back a little bit to the affective domain and the idea of feeling movers as well. All right, so keeping those core principles and beliefs of the movement ed approach in mind, that idea of success for all, contribution by all, and activity for all, let's look at the actual framework of what the movement ed model is actually kind of comprised of. So movement concepts are nothing new, right? We saw that on the outside of that traditional skill theme wheel, um, but movement ed just kind of takes it and makes that the foundation of everything instead of the skills being the foundation. So there's four main uh, movement ed concepts that have specific elements within them. And we're gonna kind of break those down one by one here. So the first kind of concept that we'll kind of explore is the idea of body. And we'll keep with that that kind of tree analogy. So you kind of see that our tree right now is a little bit of a sapling. It's just starting to grow. We have one main taproot. Um, and that taproot is represented by the first main concept of the movement and framework, which is body. So when you think about the body, think about what is the action and what is doing it. So that's kind of what you're thinking in relation to the yeah, concept of body and what your students are kind of thinking of in, the con- in relation to the concept of body. So specific elements within this movement concept are body parts, right? So students being able to identify specific body parts, right? Feet, hands, knees, elbows, all that kind of stuff, all parts of the body, and exploring different things they can do with them in different ways. So another element of that body concept is body shapes. So having students explore the differences between how they can move their body in a wide shape or even stay still in a wide shape compared to narrow shape, compared to a twisted or a round shape. You can even throw symmetrical or asymmetrical in there too. Um, So having them use their body in different ways related to that element of body shapes to get them to understand how their body can move in relation to those shapes, or even stay still in relation to those shapes is a part of that concept of body. And also the actions of the body, right? So you think about whole body actions, right? Actions that get your entire body moving. So think about traveling skills, right? So that's where those locomotors come in. And even other skills that maybe aren't referred to as locomotor, because locomotor when I think of that I think of it as just using your feet to get from one place to another, but obviously obviously, there's a million different ways that you can travel that have you using other parts of your body to get from one place to another um, that aren't considered locomotor skills, and having your students explore those different ideas of traveling in different ways, Um, actions of different sections of the body, so that's when you're kind of starting to maybe think about non-locomotor skills now, so like twisting, turning, spinning... Um, balancing, those kinds of things, and even actions of individual body parts that can tie to no- those non-locomotor skills as well. So having your students kind of explore different movement problems related to those elements of the concept of body. So kind of see that represented there in our little taproot for our young sapling for our movement ed framework. So from there, right, our movement, little tree here, our little sapling is growing. So we add another root and that root is represented by the concept of effort. So we talk about the action and what's doing the action in terms of the body, right? The body is the instrument to do that. Effort as a concept relates to how is the action being done? So think about those like adjective words that we've kind of uh, talked about maybe a little bit already in this session in terms of that outside of that movement wheel. So effort can relate to time as an element of effort. So you're talking about slow, medium, fast, so speeds, right? Having your students explore that with their bodies in different ways. The idea of force that they can explore with their body in different ways through actions. So light, heavy, soft versus hard, those differences and how they can kind of express themselves differently using those elements in different ways. And also the idea of flow as an effort concept. So flow kind of is comprised of elements of bound and free. So bound, think about very like robotic type movements, right, as opposed to free being more of like water and kind of like a wave-like motion where you're swaying in the breeze almost and having your students kind of explore those differences with their body. So, effort being the second main concept of the Movement Ed Framework, you kind of see our plant is getting a little bit bigger there, our roots are growing, we're getting a stronger foundation. So, from there, right, our plant is continuing to grow, we're adding a third main root, and that third main root, as related to the concepts of Movement Ed, has to do with space. So, we talked about the body being the instrument of the movement, right, what is doing the action, what is the action, We talked about effort in relation to how is the action being done, space, the question that your students are trying to answer and that you're trying to bring out of them is where is the action being done. So obviously that kind of goes to the elements of location. So personal space versus general space, having them explore those different locations and areas and what they can do in each of those different kind of situations and spaces, directions. So having students explore how they can move their bodies in different directions, forward, backwards, sideways, in different ways. Pathways is another element of the concept of space, right? So you have those different pathways, straight, curved, and zigzag. And then also levels. So you have those l- low levels, high, uh, medium levels, and high levels that students can explore within this concept of space as they're doing those different actions. And then the fourth and final concept, main concept of mo- the movement ed framework is relationships. So you kind of see we have our fourth root added there. Our plant is continuing to grow, right? We have a pretty good foundation at this point. So relationships kind of add into that a little bit. Um, and relationships, the question that your students are trying to answer and that you're trying to get them to answer and think about is with who or what is the action being done, right? So This can kind of be seen either with equipment or people. So exploring the idea of kind of positioning with equipment or people, so exploring how students can move above equipment or above other people compared to below other equipment or people, the concepts or the elements of over, under, around, and through, right? how they can kind of explore those different words with equipment or with people, in and out kind of as well in front, behind, near, and far. So having your students explore all those different things ties back to that idea and that concept of relationships, whether it's with equipment or with people. And then timing as well, kind of comes into the relationship uh, concept. So these elements of timing are things that students can explore in different ways. So mirroring or matching. Students can work on leading, following, taking turns in terms of the timing or they can kind of do some different movements either in unison where they're all doing the same thing together or in canon, which means that it's kind of like a waterfall effect almost. Or if you think of like the, like the wave going around a stadium, like once I finish my movement, then the next person's movement starts. Um, so are they, being, they can do these actions and some of them can be done alone. Some of them are in smaller groups. Some of them can be done in bigger groups as they're exploring those different actions in different ways. So there's lots of different kind of combinations that you can have students explore here. But those are the four main concepts. So relationships, space, body, and effort that make up the movement ed framework. And then those elements kind of branch off um, from those main roots underneath each of those concepts. All right, so now we've kind of discussed and went over the four core concepts of the movement ed approach, body, effort, space, relationships, and the different elements that make up each of those concepts. Um, Another huge part of the framework is the idea of questioning, and questioning is absolutely imperative within the Movement Ed model or framework. Um, And I want you to kind of think about the motto, you could say, I guess, of Movement Ed is ask, don't tell. And I think as teachers, oftentimes we're pretty guilty of kind of giving students answers. Um, right. Again, going back to the idea of the traditional skill theme approach, you're basically giving the students the answers when you're telling them, hey, here's the cues I want you to be able to demonstrate Right. for a soccer dribble. Use the inside and outside parts of your foot, keep it close to you, use soft taps, and try and keep your head up. Right. So kind of flipping that on its head, movement ed being concept-based and, and the idea of that divergent discovery and wanting students to kind of figure out answers for themselves, you're kind of taking a back seat, right, as as more of a facilitator in the movement ed framework where you're not telling them the answers, right? You're asking them questions so they can kind of derive those answers for themselves and even explain their thinking as to why they might think this movement um, is best for this situation or things of that nature. Um, so kind of think of it yourself within the movement ed framework as maybe like, the guide on the side, and not necessarily the sage on the on the stage. So, in alignment with that idea of ask don't tell, when you're kind of introducing your students to the intent of your lesson for the day, think about doing it in the form of like an essential question to create that movement problem that your students are going to be trying to solve with their bodies throughout the remainder of the class. And we'll kind of show you. I'll kind of show you some examples of what that looks like. Um, in in a little bit and some example lessons here. But once your students are then engaged in the main content of that lesson, that main experience where they're exploring whatever concepts uh, and elements of those concepts that you kind of set out for them through that movement problem, um, you're gonna wanna kind of think about how you can use questioning throughout as well, not just in the beginning, but throughout the entirety of the lesson to help them gain a better understanding um, in terms of explaining their thinking, what they're doing, higher order thinking skills, So to do that, there's some common kind of question stems that really work well within a movement education approach. So how can you, right, instead of telling them, hey, here's what you're doing, how can you? So just kind of flipping that around a little bit kind of gets them to think a little bit differently about what it is they're doing. Is there another way you can? Show me a different way you can. How many different ways can you, right? So kind of all different ways really of saying the same thing, but those three things in particular kind of really lend themselves well to that idea of of divergent discovery. So multiple solutions to that movement problem, right? That you're kind of presenting to the students to get them to think critically and more higher order as well. And then kind of even giving some like hypotheticals. So what would happen if, right? So getting to even extend their thinking beyond that. What is something you could do differently to so those are all kind of some examples of question stems that you can even work in into the remainder of your lesson after you kind of introduce that main idea of uh, the movement problem for the day in the form of a question. All right, so now I kind of want to share some different lesson examples with you that I've done in the past using the movement ed approach. And you can kind of see from the thumbnail here of this video that this was one of the ones I decided to use with my kindergarten students during our time of distance learning over the last few months. Um, And this was a lesson that I've kind of modified based upon what I've done face-to-face using the same approach. And I think one of the the cool things and one of the benefits of using Movement Ed is that it works well face-to-face. And also for me, it worked really well with my students uh, during our time of distance learning. So that idea of giving them more voice, more choice, allowing them to use more creativity, giving them more autonomy, allowing for more exploration, I think that was something that my students really look forward to and especially as distance learning may be something that is continued moving forward depending on where your state is with the pandemic and even if you're in a hybrid situation where you're teaching in person some days and virtually other days, um, you kind of have to give your students a reason to log on I think um, because it's really easy for them to ghost you, I know that that happened with me and a couple of my students um, this past go around with distance learning. But if you're giving them a reason and they're finding value in what you're kind of pushing out to them, they're more likely to log on. And I think that's really something that you have to be thinking about and the approach that you're taking if you are kind of creating more distance learning lessons um, in the future. So something to think about. Movement Ed can definitely be a a benefit to you there. Um, I should also say that the video thumbnail that you're seeing here is actually the main activity of our lesson. And there was a separate video that my kindergarten students watched before this that kind of did some pre-teaching for them. So that separate video, I thought it was a little bit too long for what we had time for today. Um, but in that video, it kind of introduced students to the essential question of the day, where kind of they got used to that question of that that movement problem that you're gonna, they're going to be solving with their bodies. Um, it also introduced them to the terms balancing and base of support because they are kindergarten, so they don't really have any frame of reference. I don't think. As related to that within PE, and I also introduced to them eight different body parts they could use as bases of support to balance on, and that's the one big difference compared to what I would have done in terms of teaching this live or in person. All my lessons for distance learning were pre-recorded. That's just the way that my district kind of decided to do it. Um, so having that be the format of pushing things out, I kind of had to give my students some of those answers that I would normally have tried to draw out of them themselves. So that's kind of one one little difference compared to what I would have done if this was a live or face-to-face lesson. Um, but the main idea of this lesson was for students to explore the concept of body and specifically the elements of body parts as basis of support in relation to balancing. So just like any other kind of approach you know, good teaching, you want to kind of start with the end in mind and work backwards when you're planning. So looking at the outcome that we're kind of working towards here maintains momentary stillness on different base of support. And for me as a teacher, even though I'm kind of creating that essential question in a way that is aligned with the movement and approach, before I can get to that point, I kind of usually write specific objectives first and then I kind of turn those objectives into that essential question for my students. So that's just kinda something that I do that makes sense for me and my planning. So kind of working backwards from that outcome, I kind of pulled two objectives that I wanted my students to kinda be able to accomplish within this lesson. One of which was students will be able to identify body parts that are being used as bases of support while balancing. And that's the primary one. And the more secondary one was students will be able to hold their body as still as possible while balancing for five seconds. So with those being the things I want my students to be able to do and know by the end of this lesson, I kind of turned that then into the essential question for my students, which I share with them for their learning intent for the day. So the essential question that I shared with them was, how can you use different amounts of body parts to create different balance positions? So I'm gonna kind of share a little bit of this video with you here um, and then Kind of talk about it as we go. is asking us to make a balance using five bases of support or five body parts touching the floor. So I have to think to myself first, what body parts do I want to use to make up a balance? I have to count five things touching the floor. So maybe I decide to use two feet, two hands, that's four, and I have to add something else to make five. And I'll put one knee down too. So I have five things touching the floor now. One hand, two hands, three is a foot, four is this foot, and a knee. That makes five. So once I have my five body parts, my five bases of support, now I'm trying to hold myself still for five Mississippi seconds. Five, four, three, two, one, and done. And that's going to ask you, hey, point to the different body parts that you used as bases of support in the balance that you just did. So Mr. C, I used two feet, two hands, and one knee. That makes my five. So you kind of saw a little bit about how that activity worked. Um, Going from there, right, I just kind of had different numbers pop up. Get ready to hold it still. Five, four, three, two, one, and done. going to use how can you make it look different than last time get ready to hold it still five four three two one and done so just a couple of things that I kind of wanted to highlight there so the idea of thinking movers, right? Going back to that cognitive domain and how that relates to the movement ed approach, right? So there's built-in time for the kids to kind of think about what body parts they wanted to use. And that was also kind of coupled with this idea of the reflection after each of the balance that they did. So getting them to understand, going back to our objectives, going back to our essential question, hey, what body parts were you actually using you know, to make up whatever number that was on the screen? Um, so getting them to think about those things um, really gets them to reinforce the concept of body, and in particular, what we're looking for in terms of body parts, using them as basis of support. Um, and then you also saw the idea of divergent discovery there. So the first balance used four body parts, right? They picked whatever they wanted to hold it still. And you saw kind of the second balance also asked them to use four, but I also, I asked them to use and come up with four in a different way. So maybe they used a different set of body parts compared to their first go around. Um, So the idea of divergent discovery, right? There's multiple solutions to that problem. So the movement problem right there, right, happened to be, hey, show me a balance with four body parts touching the floor. Well, there's multiple ways that that can be done. Um, So giving them the freedom to kind of explore different ways they can try to use four body parts kind of gives them that um, divergent discovery kind of, flexibility in there, which I think they really appreciated. So assessment within movement ed, right, is important, just like within any other approach that we do. Um, assessment assessment's necessary, in this instance, tied to that lesson that you just saw to check for student understanding of concepts. So this is more of the idea of assessment for learning. So kind of like a formative type of assessment, not really a summative type of assessment. And to kind of go back to the objective that I wanted them to understand um, and be able to know identify body parts that are being used as basis support while balancing. So to kind of measure that assessment or to measure that I use the assessment um, that's kind of linked here. So I, I create a Google form for my kindergarten students that I want us to check out really quick. All right, so here's the Google Form that I created. I always ask my students the same three questions when I'm doing a Google Form. So what's your first name? What's your last name? And then have their kindergarten classes listed out here so they can just pick from it. And then, so basic check for understanding here for basis of support, um, kind of linking back to that objective. So how many bases of support is Mr. C using in the balance pose below? Anytime that you can use pictures, it's super helpful with Google Forms just gives the students another way to better understand um, what it is that you're asking. So I'm using one, just my foot there. And then from there, since I have the number of bases of support, right, answered there, what specific body parts was Mr. C balancing on in that picture? So check all that apply. I was using my feet, right, go to the next one. And then same kind of idea for this question. How many bases of support is Mr. C using in the balance pose below? One, two, three, four. And then kind of asking them what were those body parts that I used. So I used hands, and I used my foot, and I used my head. Then go to next. And then this last question here same thing how many bases of support is Mr. C using in the balance pose below? Hand and a bottom, so that makes two. I'll use my hands, oh, not my head. And my bottom. hit submit, right, and then kind of getting their students to see view score so they can see how well they did. And I got six out of six, right. And the built-in feedback feature of Google Forms is really neat, so that's something to play around with too. Um, but yeah, uh, that's just kind of a one one way I check for their understanding related to that objective um, for identifying body parts that are being used as base of support while balancing. All right, so that last lesson example was kindergarten, where we explored the concept of body. And now I'm gonna kinda take it a little bit on the older side, so I'm gonna show you a third grade example lesson using the movement ed approach um, that explores the concept of space. Um, So you kinda see the outcome there for third grade, combines movement concepts with skills as directed by the teacher. And same process that I've done, I told you about with my kindergartners, I did with my third graders. So my objective specifically was Students will be able to create their own travel sequence by combining different levels and pathways to get from one place to another. And then from there, I kind of turn that into the essential question of how can you travel in different ways by combining different levels and pathways. And to do that, um, I kind of created this little template here from my third graders to kind of fill out. Um, and I'm gonna kind of exit out of the presentation mode so we can see a little bit better. Um, and I can edit this on the spot here, but Basically, this template is the last, or this this lesson was the last of three uh, lessons dedicated to combining pathways and levels while traveling. And by this point, my students had a solid understanding of those elements individually um, for the concept of space. And I kind of wanted them to create something cool um, in the form of a travel sequence. So basically, the idea was to have them kind of use this as a template on Google Slides um, and kind of choose their level and pathway for each box. Um, to determine how they're traveling from one numbered sign that they create to another, the next numbered sign in order and then eventually finish back where they started. So they're choosing their uh, level and their pathway by leaving the one they want for that uh, particular travel part of their sequence and then deleting the others. Um, so for example, if they knew they wanted to use a high level at first, they would click on medium and delete it. Same thing with low. And if they knew they wanted to do zigzag, right, get rid of curved and straight, and then same kind of thing on down for each of them. And and there's a link to this template right there at the bottom um, as well. So that'd be an example of maybe one of the travel sequences my my student might have kind of created. Um, And then from there um, right assessment obviously is also necessary here Um, and this assessment is more of, since it's at the end of those three lessons, this is the last of them, this is more for assessment of learning. So now instead of checking for their understanding of the concepts, now I'm checking for the student's application of the concept. So the objective that I'm kind of looking to kind of assess here um, from before was create their own travel sequence by combining different levels and pathways to get from one place to another. And this is one of the videos that my students from distance learning with this assignment kind of sent to me. So take a quick little look. So they took that template that they made on Google Slides and then turned it into individual signs. the second one, I chose to travel um, medium in a curved way. And then took those signs and kind of taped and them yes, around to different landmarks, either around their house or their yard. To go, oh God, to go, um, to go low and straight. And they are just going to go from one number to the next in order. Last one. Performing that sequence from one to the next so let's see what it looks like This was his high and straight to get from number one to number two From two to three he was doing medium and curved as he traveled From three to four he was traveling Using a low level <laughs> and a straight pathway with his dog coming in, and they get from four back to one. He chose a medium level and a zigzag pathway, and that was this student's travel sequence. Not bad. And. So from there, right, you can get that video back from your students, um, and then you can kind of use this as a rubric, right, to check and see if what they said that they were going to do on their template actually matched up with the correct level and correct pathway. So um, for that student there, I might just put, yes, let's do this. Sorry, so you can see, yes, right, he did use is high level and a straight pathway. That was clearly seen in the way he applied that. Um, His second one from 2 to 3 was medium and curved. Yes, he did both of those correctly. I was able to tell that he was using a medium level and a curved pathway in that part of the sequence. Um, From 3 to 4 I was able to see that he was in fact able to demonstrate a low level while moving in a straight pathway. And then from 4 back to 1 same thing, I was able to see that he knew how to apply a medium level in a zigzag pathway. And, you know, different ways that you can cre- construct this rubric, obviously. Um, you can assign points to it. That's what I did within a Google Classroom rubric. Um, but, yeah, there's another different way to show you how you can do a more summative assessment within the Movement Ed framework and approach um, that focused more on assessment of learning as, compo- as uh, compared to assessment for learning with that formative kindergarten example from before. All right, and that about wraps it up. Um, So that book that I referenced before, Ables and Bridges, Teaching Movement Education. Um, If you're interested in learning a little bit more about the movement ed model, this is a great resource. It's also got a ton of different example lessons in here using that approach um, for you to check out. So um, give that that a look if you're interested in it. You can get on Amazon, it's got a purple cover. um, So that way you know you're getting the right one. As far as resources go, um, feel free to check out my YouTube channel right here with this link. Uh, If you want to reference these slides, um, feel free to to use any of it. Um, You can use that link right there. Uh, I've created lots of other at-home PE resources over the last few months. Um, You can get those by accessing the shared folder on Google Drive with this link right here. And then I also have my Teachers Pay Teachers store if you're interested in Supporting my work and different things that are more printable and electronic in nature in terms of more face-to-face learning that I've used over the years You can access that stuff right here at this link um, You know where to find me if you're on Twitter um, At mr. C underscore PE um, You can also check out my Facebook page that I post a lot of resources to and if you'd like to email me for any further types of professional development or uh, sessions or consulting work or anything like that, my email address is right there as well. So thank you so much for having me. I hope you got a good amount out of this session. And once again, thanks to the EPW committee members for making this conference possible. Have a great rest of your conference and a great start to next school year. See ya.